Please remain standing. We will be looking at Acts 17, starting in verse 16. And pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we open your book of life, I just pray that, that Paul speaks to us again through these words, Lord, that we, we get a, a measure of maturity, that we, we understand the early church and we learn the lessons on how to spread your word and how to be faithful to you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 17, starting in verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we, have, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. We'll read that far and you may be seated. You know, we're back in the, the book of Acts. We get in the early life of the church. Remember, the church was just being formed, just starting. The apostles were sent out. You know, they broke the ice. Now Paul and Timothy, Barnabas were going on their missionary journeys, and they were having success. We read where they, these churches were being formed, elders, deacons taking over. They had resistance. They had success. And Paul had a pattern. If there was a Jewish synagogue, he would go there first, and that pattern's the same here. He'd go to the Jews and the God-seekers, the proselytes to Judaism, and after that, he'd go to the non-believing Gentiles or the pagans. And there was a reason I mentioned that last time. Because if the Jews became true believers, they would accept the Gentiles, the proselytes, easier. Because remember, there was that rift, you know. The Jews thought they were above everybody. And it was hard to destroy what you're grown up with. It's hard to change when that's what you've learned your whole life. But when you become a true believer, you do change. You're transformed and you accept all the brothers and sisters in the Lord from every tongue and every nation. That's why Paul would go to the Jews first if there was a synagogue and then to the others. And in verse 16 we see that. Eventually he goes to the Jews but first, he looks around the city. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, that's he's waiting for uh, Timothy and Barnabas to catch up with them, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. 
Now, Paul was an educated man. He was a scholar. I don't know if he was ever at Athens before this. Surely he knew about it. He knew about the idolatry in the temples. But when he gets to this city, he sees exactly how bad and how far away it has gone from ultimate truth, God's truth. One ancient writer said, satorically, you can find a God easier in Athens than you can a person. There are so many temples to so many gods. In the original language, when it says grieved, it means gut-wrenching grief, deepful, mournful sadness for the people. Paul's heart went out for the souls who were being deceived. He understood their fate. He knew that all men needed to repent before Jesus Christ. And here, many people were being deceived into a false hope. A false hope. Remember, Athens was the height of philosophy, knowledge, the arts. Many people visited it. It was a tourist destination. The great city of Athens, the great leaders, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, they came there to be dazzled. Oh, what a great city. Paul wasn't dazzled. He was grieved. He was grieved to the depth of his soul because of the sin and the idolatry. You know, this is a sign of a mature believer. A true believer is grieved by the sin around us, the sin in our nation. We should, must never be dazzled with the greatness of Madison. It should grieve our hearts, the wickedness that comes out of there and the, the position of power that it holds and the laws that it makes. The same with Washington, D.C. They're the philosophers of the day coming out with all this garbage that goes against God's word. Yet many are dazzled when they see politicians should be grieved if they're passing unjust and ungodly laws. Our God is Lord of lords. Every nation will bow, every king. And Paul knew he would confront whoever. He didn't care of their title. But first he goes to the Jews again. Again, that was his custom. But you know, this had to be a difficult task. Because these Jews living in Athens, you know, you can't live in an area that is so sinful and so full of idolatry where you don't get affected by it. I know I lived in Madison, and that's the, the homosexual capital of the country. And it bothered me, the things I seen when I first moved in there. But after a while, you did get accustomed to it. Things that you wish you never seen. But here these Jews are polluted, surrounded in sin. And remember, the Jews were also caught up in their own idolatry. They rejected the Messiah. But they had the Old Testament. They had the law. 
They had the evidence given to them. And that's what Paul used to plead his case. To persuade the Jews. Then he'd go to anyone else who would listen in that city. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? The Epicureans and the Stoics. You know, they're the only two philosophy groups mentioned in the scriptures. So who are they? Again, remember Athens was supposed to be the cultural center. Considered all the geniuses were there. They had the answers to everything. Socrates, Plato. Socrates did bring unity to that area. And it brought prosperity with many of his teachings, which were confusing at best. I looked into it a little bit, and uh, basically what he said, there's no meaning, to, we can't know the meaning of life. So we got to live here in the present without hurting our enemies or our friends, which was a good thing, and he pushed toward that. He brought unity to the people. They lived that way out. Don't hurt your friends, don't hurt your enemies. And it prospered because they knew hurting your friends or your Enemies, if you weren't productive, if you weren't adding to society, you were hurting people. But he didn't have the answers to life. As a matter of fact, he uh, pushed so far against the other philosophers that eventually they did kill him. But it was ungodly philosophy. Yeah, there were some things that hinted toward goodness. But the people looked for direction. For the most part, people want leaders to follow. And they followed Socrates' teachings. And there was unity among the people. They felt like they were doing the right thing in their lives. He didn't answer the true questions of life. Number one, life. Where did it come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? What am I supposed to do when I'm here? Number two, motion, change. How come things change? How come nations change? What's the cause of change? Pretty much number three is being, what controls everything. Now we have the answers to all these questions, but these philosophers didn't. But the people were in unity. The nation was flourishing. But again, they did not have ultimate truth. They did not know God. Socrates' prized student was Plato. He agreed with Socrates. Things went real well. But then Aristotle was Plato's prized student. And he disagreed with the teaching that he grew up with through Plato. There was division among the philosophers. And again, they took this serious. Remember, they killed Socrates because of the division of what the philosophers wanted. 
but it was devastating to the people and the climate of the country because now the people did not have the leadership. And this is where Paul finds himself in Athens, a city philosophical, okay, divided, philosophical, forget it. A major division in philosophy. And the two groups were the Stoics and the Epicureans. And they had very little in common, except they understood that, well, you really don't have the answers to life, why we're here or whatever, you know. So truth was left, again, to these philosophers, what they would come up with, the imaginations of men. The people were divided. The people didn't have the answers. They didn't know who to follow or what to believe. The Epicureans, again, they believed that man should seek out the pleasurable things of life and avoid the hurtful. which resulted in drunkenness, sexual pleasures, idleness, and entertainment. However, they did say that, well, there should be some restraint. But who knows who made the restraints or how often the restraints changed. The Stoics believe, you know, that you can't control much of anything, so just roll with the punches. Like the song says, no worries, be happy. In reality, they're saying, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. And the nation was in decline. Because people were living for themselves. Which led to uncensored sin. The decline of society, morality, and the economy. Because life was all about self. That some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Arapachus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You know, doesn't it sound like a lot today? Philosophers of the day, aren't they the politicians, the thinkers? Are they influenced by them? Isn't it a society of eat, drink, and be merry? What can I get? How can I get it for myself? And especially if I get it from others, why should I work if others will work for me? No, that's what our politicians have given us. But Paul, you know, his attention, preaching got the attention of these two philosophical groups. But you remember, they were open to any new deity. They didn't want to miss one, so they wished to hear more of his teachings. He said, we'll hear you out. Maybe we can, you know, build you a temple, get you a little fundraiser, you know, from the people and add another 
idol to this town. They took him to the Arapacus. Now we have to understand where they're taking him, and we must resort again to history. Each city had within its city a high city. As the name reflects, these would be on the highest point of a town or a city. That's where the word Arapacus, when you break it down, arrow means high, like aeroplane. Arapacus just means city. Now in Athens, we know that they had these high places. The Parthenon is still there, the temple to the god Athena, the goddess Athena, also known as Minerva. And about 50 yards from there, there was a temple. There was a large rock near it. That was the temple of Ares, the god of war, also known as Mars. That's why it says this is Paul at Mars Hill. That's where they discussed the philosophies of the day. And that's where all the other philosophers came and met on a continuous basis. Remember, there were tourists. That was a tourist town, Athens. Where would the tourists go? They'd go to hear these philosophers give their opinions on what is ultimate truth, the ultimate truths of life, which continually changed. Always differing opinions. The truths of man, not the truths of God. But we do know about high places. The Bible speaks much about high places. And we will chase this rabbit down the trail a little bit. In 2 Kings 17.29 But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities in which they lived. You know, saints, this is a reoccurring sin that Israel did, but it's a reoccurring sin that all mankind has done throughout history. Built high places. Places where they know there's a God, but they choose to build a false God, false idols. They turn from ultimate truth and worship idols. 1 Kings 12.32 And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made, and he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places that he had made. And this is where it starts. Leaders, philosophers, get these brainstorms, these goofy ideas that go against God, and they think, because I'm in authority, because I'm so smart, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to worship God. Second Chronicles 21.11, Moreover, he made high places in the hill country of Judah and led the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom and made Judah go astray. People like leaders. People for the most part, many are like sheep, and they will blindly follow people who they think have authority or lead with authority. 
And many times it is the leaders who lead people away from the ultimate truth. They lead them away from God to these ungodly human philosophies, the philosophies of the day, which robs God and the people of their glory. God's people will be robbed of their glory. God says he will not share his glory with another. In 2 Samuel 1.19, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. When God's people go into whoredom, but I'd say when all people go into whoredom against God, God's judgment will come. There will not be glory in their nations, in their towns. The philosophical nonsense of the day brings God's wrath upon a people. Wrath on individuals, wrath on nations. You know, what does that say about our nation? What do the philosophers of the day tell us? No fault, divorce, abortion, homosexuality, wokeness. A philosophy of not punishing criminals. Look what they did with the guy who ran the people over in Milwaukee. $1,000 bail for running over his girlfriend. And, oh, well, we'll let you out on a $1,000 bail. And then he runs over and kills six people. The philosophy of the day is you can steal up to $999. As long as you don't cross that $1,000 line, we're not even going to go. Not, just, let, just rob your neighbor. You take that $9.99 every day. Or a 250-pound athlete saying, oh, I'm a woman now. And they say, oh, go use the, the girls' bathroom. Shower with women. Might as well join the swim team. The girls, of course. And if you do happen to rape somebody, we'll cover it up because we don't want to interfere with our philosophy of the day that you're a woman. Or how about the furries? Read on the line the other day, Christy brought it to my attention. Substitute teacher went to the class. He's doing roll call. Calls on the kid, and the kid, meow. He goes, what? Meow. And the other kids say, oh, you're supposed to meow back. The guy goes, woof. Terrified the kid so much, he ran to the office. Teacher got fired. You know, I bet that furry used English when he explained what happened. How do we get this way? It's a dopey ideas from the philosophers of the day. What's the cure? If they repent with all their heart, with all their souls, in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive. If they repent, if they repent. You know, the church has its own wokeness. God is love. God loves you unconditionally. Does he love you unconditionally? What did John the Baptist say? Matthew 3.1.3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching 
in the wilderness of Judah, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, John had it right. What did Jesus say? From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Seems pretty clear. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter got it right. There is no gospel without repentance. God does not love people unconditionally. There's a condition. Jesus said, repent, and you receive my blessings and my love. If you don't, you go to a place where the worm never dies and the flame is never quenched. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Woe if you don't repent. What does God's woe mean? Does that mean his love is unconditional? He will judge you. You will be sent to hell. Wicked nations who did not repent will be judged by wicked nations that did. Matthew 21, or 12, 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What does repentance look like? Submit to Jesus and throw away the philosophies of the day and do everything in your power to discredit them and destroy the power of these philosophers, these idol worshipers, these idol promoters. 2 Kings 23, 19, And Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger, he did to them according to all that he had done in Bethel. He removed them. He destroyed them. He confronted them with words of truth, God's truth. And he punished the wicked, evil doers. And he sacrificed all the priests on the high places who were there, on the altars. He burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. He destroyed the high places of the day. Tore down those who elevated them and direct and designed them. And what happens when we do that as believers? When we confront and we tear down the high places of the wicked. We call them sinful. Second Chronicles 14.5 He also took out all the cities of Judah the high places, and the incense altars. And the kingdom had rest under him. Nations and people have rest under God when they follow his ultimate truth and confront the wicked evils of the day. There was rest, peace, prosperity, 
Why do we not have rest in this nation? Because for the most part, the church backed out of being involved in the public affairs. And we're more concerned of their inner holiness instead of the world around them, which is also part of Christianity. We'll get back to our text. I guess we're done chasing that rabbit. Some of the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers also converged conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Arapachus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. Talk about a waste of time. Let's see what other evil practices we can come up with as philosophers. You know, the Bible tells us in the multitude of words, sin wanteth not. These philosophers were the true babblers coming up with new ideas. Saints, you know, it sounds like a lot like Madison or Washington, D.C. What philosopher can influence them and then we can decide to say that this is ultimate truth? Then you have a handful of Supreme Court justices say, yep, this is truth. Nobody can change it. God's people can't change it. We're greater than God. Then you wonder why we're in the mess we're in. Why we even have to mention that a guy can swim on a girl's team or say, I'm a girl, and oh, okay. They think they're cats and dogs. You know, We as Christians, we must stand up and declare to all men, no matter their title, thus says the Lord. Rebuke with all authority. His word is ultimate truth. And we as his people have the authority to confront these people of their sins, just as Paul did, just as the apostles did, just as Jesus did. Yes, some men will hurt you, and yes, some may kill you. But if we think we can curl up in our little churches and say, oh, they'll leave us alone, as long as we're holy. Look at the nations around us. Look at Europe. Look at Russia. Look at China. Tyrants will not give up power. It must be removed. It must be confronted. It's duty of the church to confront them. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. That's how we take our nation back. 
We stand on the authority of God and say, thus says the Lord. And his word covers all realms of life and all people. Let us pray. Lord and our God, as we we look at, at ourselves in this sermon, we look at the church, we look at our nation, we must look at our past and see where we went off the rails. A nation that was found on Christianity like many other nations that have trickled away from it. How does the cradle of the Reformation become a nation that slays God's people by the millions? How is our foundation based on Christianity and now we stand back and have 50 years nearly of child killing? Where was the church 50 years ago? Where was the church when they took prayer out of schools? The evils needed to be confronted. And they weren't. And that is why we are in this fine mess. Let it end here with us with this generation, Lord. Let us be the ones who stand up and tear down the idols, tear down the high places through your authority and your power. In Jesus' name, 